about the church. Do you love the church? Do you serve the church? When you see the church, what do you see? Jesus loves his church. for this game tonight? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're pretty pumped. So so excited to see you guys. Uh, we yeah, we're in week uh, we're in week three of this series called Jesus Loves His Church, and um, the the first couple of weeks we were talking about the big global church and uh, and really what our purposes are as a, as as people of God within the world. And so uh, you'll see the breakdown of of our series so far. As uh, the first one was what is the story, and we really talked about how. Um, how Jesus uh, really came to Jesus came to, to restore all things back to God's original intention when He created the world, and so our our story as a church is really to participate in the restoration of all things to really be about something that's that's huge, and and so we're 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 in this big global mission to see God restore all things. That's people everywhere. God's got this story that we're a part of. And then we talked about last week about what the church's role, like the big global church, the big C church, what is the big church, what is the church's role within the, the, the restoration of all things? And we talked about how we are people that have been changed by Christ, um, put together into what he calls a city. It's not just a, not just a one person or, a two, or, or just even a two-person thing. It's just millions of people all around the world to help show that God has glory and give man joy. And then they ultimately are deployed into the salt to be salt and light of the earth. And, and so that's like the, the church. The church is really to see lives changed by Christ, to be a part of this restoration of all things. And so what I want to do today is break that down one more into our local church, our local body, Community Covenant Church. What is our mission as a result of being a part of the restoration of all things, seeing lives changed by Christ? What, what do we um, exist to do? And, and so really, but what, we do, what I say every single week when we talk about the church is that everything for us as a church is informed by the story of the Bible. Like the story of the Bible informs everything we actually do. And, and, and the story goes uh, like this. It, it starts where God created the world and it was good. All right, good. A year in and we still got that. God creates the world and it was, it was good. He didn't create the world just broken and messed up. He creates it with, with potential, with, with awe, with with greatness built within it. He didn't create it perfect so that it stays that way, but he creates it good, and there's this ongoing creation that we're asked to be a part of. And, and so what happens though, sin uh, enters into the world when man believes that he could create for himself what only God can. Um, sin enters into the world through this pride and rebellion in our heart that breaks everything. And when, that, when everything broke, it literally turned everything from an outward uh, love, an outward relationship, a, a, a relationship, a connection with God that informs everything we do to a, 
inward focus where we say and we live our lives saying, me first. I need to get mine. I need to, it needs to be about me. And so we live literally everything. And it, it, when this happened, it broke our relationship with God in three major ways. First, it broke it, our, our, our worship of him. Instead of worshiping God for all that he's created, what we do is we kind of steal the things that he created and we worship them. And so our worship is distorted. Um, we, instead of looking to relationships and community to help us become more like Christ and really to be a part of something strong, what we do is we look for relationships to, uh, we look to relationships for what we can get. And so that breaks our relationship with each other and it pulls us away from other people. That makes us more isolated and more, uh, more pulled back. And it, really, our sin broke our relationship with the world. So instead of uh, being a part of a work, being part of a, a job or something that, that produces serving into the world and, 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 and joins in with God and how he created the world, we look to work and serving for what we can get, how we can feel good. I mean, it really just breaks everything into those, uh, in those three major ways. And so what Jesus did, he comes back and he, he, through his death and resurrection, he restores the whole thing. He begins restoring us in ways that we can ultimately become more like him. And so, and so those three major things that broke when, God bro- when, when our relationship with God broke, he begins restoring our worship. He begins restoring our community. He begins restoring our mission. And so that we can see God glorified and man have joy. We, we, we saw all that. And so, but, but there's this big old thing, like we're kind of stuck now because we, Jesus started something on the cross and he hasn't returned yet. So he, like he promises to come back, but he hasn't yet. And so we're kind of like stuck. Has anyone ever felt stuck before? And so that's kind of where we're at. We're stuck between what God started on the cross and what God will complete upon his return. And so this is, this is what he says about that. Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter is preaching, and he says, he says, in light of all this good news, in light of all this good news that Jesus has come to restore the world, repent, therefore, and turn back. We talked about this a few, you know, some months ago where we said repent and turn back means to literally change direction, to do a 180 from how you were living back towards the way God created you to live. That's what we want to do. We want to turn back away from what we thought was the good way to, li- to live and live according to God's design for the world. So repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How many in here need just a little of that of refreshment this morning? That times of refreshing may come and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So he says this. He says that there, it will be a time when all things are restored. And our hope as followers of Jesus is for that day, that although things don't look perfect today, there will be a day when everything will be made right. And then the church's role in this, is what, so Jesus is, is there um, in, 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 with God until, until this time. And Ephesians 1 says about the church then, it says, and he put all things under his feet. God says you know, to Jesus, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we have this, we have this God that's, that's, 
that has to be somewhat distant from us until the time where he restores all things. But in the meantime, he sends his spirit, puts us together as the church. And the church is the, the presence of Christ that fills all in all. So in this broken world, we're stuck between what God started on the cross and what he's going to finish upon his return. And he's given us the church to help move us towards what Jesus ultimately has called us to be. So that process between where God died and, and where God will return literally are moving through the life of the church to become more like him. So literally, Jesus is changing lives through the work of the church. That's our, that's our role. That's our job. The Bible tells us the church's role is to see that. So for us as a local body, it's community covenant church, like this is us sitting here in this midst, we exist as a result of all of that to participate in the restoration of all things uh, to, by seeing lives changed by Christ through gospel-centered worship, community, and mission. So let me break that all down because you know, you're like, awesome, that's awesome. We exist to participate in the restoration of all things. Remember, God's global plan to put the world back together again. We are a part of that. And the way he's doing that is by, by, by changing lives by Christ. Through Christ's death, resurrection, and through his life, death, and resurrection, he's changing us to become more like him. And the way he's doing it is through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, and gospel-centered mission. Like, that's the way he's changing our hearts and our lives to become more like him. So we exist to participate in all these things by seeing his life change us through these three major ways. Remember, God, when sin broke everything, it broke everything. And God is putting our worship and our community and our mission back into alignment with what he designed us to look like. So today, the question really becomes, and I'm glad you asked it, is, is, that, is that we, um, really, what must a church do? What does a church do to see these lives changed by Christ? If we exist to participate in the restoration of all things by seeing lives changed by Christ, what must a church do um, to see these change lives happen, and, and if you can believe it, the, the Bible has actually something to say about that. So that's what we want to ask the question today. So um, in your Bibles or uh, on the screen or on your phones, if you go to Acts 2, 42 through 47, it reads this. It reads this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, so what we have here is a little, uh, little uh, story about, a uh, little summary really about what happens right after the church is created in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes and visits, the, uh, the Holy Spirit falls on this group of believers that are praying in the upper room, and, and what happens is as a result of that, this, this big release of people becoming followers of Christ happens. 
and it, it starts the church. Many historians believe this is like the moment it happened. And, and, and so as a result of this whole experience, this is what Acts 2 is, is talking through. And so when we're asking, all right, what does the church must do? What does the church must do in, uh, uh, in order to make this happen? You can see these little things, uh, like little activities in this line. So if you go back to the first um, if you go back to the first slide there, saying they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and there's fellowship, and there's some breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul. And so there's these activities that the church is participating in as a result of the Spirit moving on them. And so there's a list. All I did is I pulled all of these activities out, and I said, okay, what, what's, a, what's the church doing? What is the early church participating in? in order to see the Lord add to their number day by day. What is the church doing? And so you see things like teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread, praying, awe. Like, how cool is that? Like, that they were in awe at the things that God was doing. I love that. Signs and wonders, beliefs. They had things in common. They, they had this commonality amongst the community. Selling, uh, selling possessions and distributing uh, their good, distributing the proceeds. Um, attending and glad and generous hearts receive praise in God and having favor. You have all these activities that the church is actually doing. And, and it really, can, you can split them up um, when, you, when you look at them into those three major areas between worship, community, and mission. The early church really was, was a part of shaping the person's heart, was about shaping a really awesome community, and really about releasing something into the world that gave God glory and man joy. And so this is what the church was doing in order to see that. And so today, I just wanted to give you the three things that churches do um, in order to, to see. You know, here, here's the thing. When you look at this list, sometimes you go, okay, well, we can do a few of those, right? Like, we can do all that. That's a lot, right? No, no. The church did all of it. The early church did all of it. And sometimes what we see in churches today is we see churches, they just, they just focus on the worship piece. And so they're good. They got the gatherings, and they got everything working out well. And then some churches, they got the community piece. They're all about being together. But it's hard to break into that. And you have other churches that are all about social justice and mission and releasing to the world. They focus solely on that. And so you're not really saved unless you be, care about justice. You're not really saved unless you care about community. You're really saved unless you care about worship. But really what God's doing in all of us is shaping all of that together. And so the three things that churches do in order to see the Lord uh, add to their number daily, number one is we worship. We worship. A church must worship. They must align their heart with God's heart. A church must align their heart with God's heart. The gospel will create within us this desire to know Jesus. That's what the gospel does. The gospel will break your heart wide open and say, I'm in desperate need of a Savior. I'm in desperate need of a Savior to change me, to be about, uh, to, to, to change me, to look, help me look more like him, to really engage with all that he's doing. He's going to break you wide open to see the things that he sees. We want to care about the things that he cares about. And so the worship, what, what happens sin, when sin breaks that, we begin to look to his creation to fill what only God could. Like when we sing songs about satisfying, like, we believe that Jesus satisfies, fills our deepest longings. As some of you have been looking for a long time for what might be wrong. You just haven't 
you know, for, to what could fill you. You just haven't learned to call him God yet. So there's worship, aligning my heart with God's heart. And so you see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, things they did to align their worship with God. With God. And now, look, I just pulled all of these from the text. I'm not sitting in my office thinking, you know what, this is good. This is a good idea. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do a little bit of that. I'm just pulling this from the text so that we can be shaped by, the, by, by what God's design is for us. And so worship, aligning our heart with God's heart, number one, they, they attended the temple together. They attended a gathering together. They, and, and, and what you do when you come to a gathering like this is you're confronting the one major problem that we all have, us, us. You're saying, when you sit down with us, you're saying, I don't have it all together. I need someone to put, it, put me back together. You walk in, you sit down, you say, I am not the point. God is the point, and I need him to shape me. Attendance in a gathering is saying, God, you are the creator, and I am the creation, and I need to be more like you. I need to live by your design, and the gathering is designed to say, I don't have it all together. I need you to shape me. Attendance is confronting the one major problem we all have is, is ourselves, and so basically, it's like this. I, we talk about this all the time with, in our couples, with our couples all the time. Just my wife and I talk about this. We say, when we have a fight, when things are going really bad, the one major problem that we all have is me, right? My wife would be like, please record what you're saying right now. That's what I just needed you to say that for the last two months, right? I just, just record it, just record it so I can play it back. The biggest problem of that is me because sin broke me. The, the good news is if you flip that around, <clears throat> the biggest problem that my wife has in the midst of fighting is her, right? That's what I like to say all the time. Hey, babe, don't forget. Just kidding. Because the biggest thing that we all got going on is that we're all broken sinners in need of a savior. That's it. And so what attendance does is say, hey, I, hey, I, I don't got it all together. You don't got it all together. When we greet each other in the Lord, it's, hey, we're all messed up. High five. That's maybe one time we do greeting, we'll do that one. Hey, we're all messed up. High five. Because we need a savior. So attendance, when you sit down, you're saying, God, your design for life is the one I need to follow, not mine. And so number two, we see them teaching. There's this, when you're in a gathering, you'll experience teaching. And so what I say all the time is that I pray that we would have a taste for truth, even the difficult ones. That, that the things that we learn about, the things that we, that we, that we are engaging with, within the scriptures, that even when they're difficult, even when they're weird, even when they don't make a whole lot of sense, that we learn to find life and joy in the teachings of Jesus, in the teachings of the church, and the teachings of the Older Testament, that the Bible will literally shape it, that we would have a desire to have truth, that the design that God has would wash over us, and that we would come to crave what he's saying. Have a taste for it. Even, even, like, like it, there's nothing better. Like in Proverbs, it says that the wounds of a friend are good. When someone sits down that loves you, that cares for you, that sees that you're outside the bounds of, of what the Bible teaches, and say, hey, you know what? That's just not what God designed for you. That we learn to embrace that and love that, appreciate that. 
So we have teaching. And then third, you see them praying together, that there's this chasing after the creator rather than his creation, that when things go wrong, the first thing that we do, instead of pulling up our bootstraps, instead of trying to pull it all together, instead of trying to figure out like we got everything under control, that we would hit our knees and say, God, I need you right now. Right now, as just as uh, your pastor, as, as just a follower of Jesus, man, God is deepening my desire to be with him. He's just deepening my desire over the last few weeks to be with him, to know him, to engage with him, and, and that's what creates, number four, pursuit, that we would pursue what the Bible talks about faith. Pastor Chris was talking about it during the worship set, that there's this awe that kind of washes upon everyone's soul, that washes upon everyone's heart, that there's a glad and generous heart in the midst of all of these people. You can tell someone with a glad and generous heart, can't you? Someone that walks into a room and literally the emotional energy changes because they just, you just want to be around them. That there's awe. Like later on, there's going to be 65,000 people in awe of the New England Patriots, right? <laughs> there will be. Hopefully. <laughs> but that, that Jesus ultimately satisfies that, that we can look to that as a sport to enjoy God's creation. We can have fun with that. But ultimately, we know when we wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus is still on the throne that God still washes over us, that he's still the point. And so we have this pursuit, and I love the Bible. The Bible talks about, there, there are people in the Bible that talk about God the way I want to talk about him. David in the Psalms, he says that he thirsts after God like a deer pants for water. When was the last time you remember panting over your need to be with Jesus? I mean, that's what David said. Like, I need you, God, like a deer is panting for water. When was the last time you sat back and thought, God, I just need to be with you more than anything else, more than I need to talk to anybody, more than I need to watch the news, more than I need to read the book, more than I, I just need to be with you and know you. Oh, God, that he that he would do that in our hearts to just say, God, I, I just need to be with you. I just, I need to be around you. I need to be amongst you and be, be known by you and ultimately know you. And that's what pursuit is. It's this, this desire, this incessant desire that, I, that, the, that what we read in the Bible about our relationship with God, we would actually come to know. Man, I pray that for you guys so much, that this is not just a place that you just feel better when you leave, but that it would spike you and turn you into this, this incessant pursuer of who Jesus is. And so they, we see that the early church worshiped. Their hearts were aligned with God's heart. Like, we want your heart, God, not ours. We want your desires, not ours. When you follow Jesus, your identity will change, your desires will change, and your decisions are going to change. Your identity will be found in Christ. Your desires, what you want in life, are going to change. And ultimately, what you do, how your decisions are then flowed out of that desire will ultimately change. And so, God, man, I'm just praying that we will have hearts aligned with God's, that he will be the creator, we will be the creation, and we will become more like him as a church.
So we see them worshiping. Number two, we see them having community. We see them aligning their hearts together. So, so you are going to have this moment and transformation with Jesus where he changes your identity, changes your desires, changes your decisions. And then together, you're going to be around other people that have experienced the same transformation. And so you see this community breaking through in Acts chapter 2 where they're experiencing life together. And so community is aligning our hearts together. The church must have a strong community. And they practice this in four ways. Number one, it was fellowship, that they would have full participation with each other in a local church. Now, this isn't just like I'm in a local church because the pastor's young and wears jeans and the worship leader has tattoos. You know, that's not what we're, that's not what we're doing. I bet some of you were like, he has tattoos? I didn't know that. <laughs> Uh, it's like a sleeve he puts on every single morning. I thought that's all. No, but we're in community with each other. We're committed to each other, committed to this place, not because of some, some different things that's going on, but because of Jesus, because of the gospel doing a work in us. We're committed to each other. That's why if, it, if the gospel is at work within the church, it's very difficult to push away from the table because the church stopped doing something or started doing something you didn't like. The gospel transcends all of that. Uh, there's some changes that are happening every once in a while, but what you do ultimately is allow the gospel to help you get over that and find the best way to work through that. There's this full participation, a full connection in who that is. So, so we see them having fellowship with each other, like this deep connection, this deep commitment to each other. Number two, there's a belief, knowing deeply what is in our closed hand. Man, I... I pray this all the time, that, that, that there's this understanding of the non-negotiables of the faith. And what, what we're going to do, we're going to spend most of our year just around this whole section here, this whole community section, and about what it's like. Because here, a lot of times what's happening in churches is this, is that we're throwing out doctrine in order to have relationship. But in all reality, healthy doctrine creates healthy relationships. And so you can't throw one out and try to take the other and then throw the other one out to try to receive the other. A lot of times we say, all right, we're going we're gonna to throw doctrine out because we just want to love everybody. And then sometimes we say, well, we really love doctrine, so that means we're going to hate certain people. That's not how that works. Healthy doctrine creates healthy relationships, and, and healthy relationships will ultimately be fueled by healthy doctrine. And so you have this desire to know deeply what's in our close hand. What I pray for our church right now is that we would be a church that has a deep hunger for theology and knowledge and growth and belief. And so we have a theology that can't be dismissed, but then a power that can't be ignored. That we understand there's like a power happening, that, that God will work in our midst. That it's not just about this disconnected knowledge that we might know about God, but that we actually experience the power of God in our midst. This deep belief, no one closed. So you have these things that are in your closed hand. For us, we, our, our, our statement of faith is online, but for th- certain things, is there's one God. And you're like, easy, got it, done. Things like the resurrection of Jesus is a non-negotiable for us. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says you're not even a Christian if you don't believe it.
you have this understanding that God is, that Jesus is fully God and fully human. That's, that's just in the close hand for us. None of this is possible without the divinity of Jesus. And so we have these things that are close-handed, but then there's like a lot of things that are open-handed, man. Some people believe that women shouldn't be in leadership in a church. That's okay. You can come here. We believe that women can have an elder office. Some of you are like, I don't even know that was a thing. Really? Is that a thing? Yeah, like that's a thing in some, in some, in some places. And so you have this understanding, like, yeah, we believe that women can be elders. That's egalitarian leadership. That's, but that's an open-handed. You can still come to church here if you don't believe that. It, a lot of times baptism is, a, is this really funny thing that where believers' baptism is either by immersion, through sprinkling, you know, all that sort of thing. And, and we follow at, at Community Covenant, we follow the, 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 um, the model that Jesus had where he, I mean, he was just, he was dunking people in water. And that's what we see in the New Testament, so we follow that. But if you believe in, it, it, it just in a baptism of, of babies or anything like that, that, I mean, you can still attend here. It's just in an open hand for us. But anytime we start talking about what's in the closed hand, that's going to determine relationship a little bit. But the open-handed stuff, that's going to allow us to play together real nice. <laughs> so you have belief. Know deeply what's in there. Breaking of bread. Engage with each other in a vulnerable way. I just lost all the men with that statement, right? You're like, I don't know about that. But that there's this break. You see that these families, these, these house churches, these churches in the in the New Testament, they're, they're like in each other's homes, engaging with each other, breaking bread together. I always say you're not doing community right if you don't know where the other person's plates are in their kitchen. Can someone come in your house and you just go pull out a plate and grab some food? That's community. That's vulnerability in a strong way. Now, for me, I'm like super introverted, so my house can become like protected, right? And so when people come in, I'm like, okay, I'm all right. I'm fine. Everything's okay, <laughs> right? And so we, when we host our community group, it's like, you know, but over time, it's, over time, it becomes normal. Hey, yeah, I, of course, I know. I see when they come over. It's just the kids are in the fridge. They're pulling stuff out, and they're grabbing. That's friendship. That's engagement. That's community. Our community groups that we sign up with, we say this all the time. I, I say this a lot. They're not just a program we offer you. That's our church. It is near impossible to grow into faith, the faith that God has designed for you, without a, like a, without a commitment to a smaller group of people helping you follow Jesus. Near impossible. And I would say almost impossible, but that's a strong commitment. I'll say near impossible to do that. And so we have to figure out how we can engage with each other in a meaningful way in community that's breaking down the scriptures, helping us pull towards Christ. They're correcting us when we're wrong and celebrating us when we're right. Breaking bread. And lastly, they had things in common. They were bound together by the gospel. These, these churches were bound together by the gospel. A, a lot of times we talk to adults that are going through life. They'll have seasons of loneliness and depression. And then we find out most of their community was based off their kids' activities. Because you're like, all right, fine, they're so busy, I'll just do what they do, right? And most of the time, we're, we're based off our kids' activities. So we have, we, you know, so I got a 12-year-old, right? 12-year-old's playing soccer. So you're playing soccer, and you're seeing these, you're, you're standing on the sidelines with these adults in the freezing rain, deep down inside somewhere, you like it, right? You love it. And, and, and you're seeing this kind of happen, right? And then 12 and then 13 comes, and you're doing the same with the same people, 14, 15, 16, 17, 
and you're developing this community of people based off the game of soccer. The same thing happens uh, at New England Patriots games, you know, whether you like the Rotary Clubs or whatever you do in community, you see this whole thing happen, but it's based off something other than the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. What happens, though, eventually that changes, right? Like, eventually the kid's not going to play soccer anymore. Eventually things are going to stop taking place, and then you find yourself with no community because it was based off something other than Jesus. That's why in our church you'll see people from, from newborn all the way up because the gospel ties us together. It's not a thing of age, of interest, of background. No matter where you are, who you are, the gospel ties us together. And so you see this happening, this really healthy community that's being formed as a result of Jesus changing our lives. And so you have worship, you have community, and lastly, you see these churches are engaged in God's mission. They're engaged in God's mission. And when we do in mission is we're reproducing God's heart together in the world. So you have, a, you, have you personally, your heart's been changed by Christ. You then are in a group of people that have had this similar experience where Jesus has changed our lives and kind of killed the me first attitude. And we ultimately become part of a city to be salt and light. And then la- we, ultimately, we, get, we pour that over into reproducing the heart that we have with God in the world. And so you see that in a few ways. Number one, they're risking things. They're willing to risk everything for God's mission. Like this early church, they were selling possessions so that they could be a part of what God was doing. Man, I love that. I have a French church that literally, when they were doing, going on the building, there were, there, were, there were people in the church that were pulling out equity loans. They say, man, I just want to be a part of what God's doing here. They're just selling things and being a part. Like, I don't need this. If someone needs to hear the gospel, I don't need this. Someone else needs to do this. And they were participating in something that God was doing. When was the last time you threw everything on the table and said, God, do with it what you might? I'm going to give you my career. I'm going to give you my money. I'm going to give you my relationships. I'm going to give you everything that I do so that ultimately I can see your heart reproduced in the world. When was the last time you were that willing to risk it? Risk everything. God, you're the creator. You're the one that's putting all this back together. You're doing it through the work of the church. You're seeing lives changed by Christ. I want to be a part of that. Here's all my stuff. Do with it what you might so that I can be a part of that. You see risk taking place. Number two, you see stewardship. You see stewardship. They were selling all their stuff, and all of a sudden, when you sell things, you get money, right? <laughs> if you sell it, if you're doing it right, anyway, you're like, you're going to get money. And at that point, you can, allow, you, you can do a, one of a few things, but ultimately, we believe that stewarding, it, stewarding all of your resources, your time, your energy, your money, so that God's glory can be displayed for all the world is the best way to handle your money, best way to handle your resources, best way to handle your time. And so there's a stewardship. We talked about this a few months ago where we talked about a church that would dare to honor God, be the fir- to honor God first with their money. They get, take the first 10% and say, God, this is yours. And to dare to take him at his word to say, you're going to supply my needs. And that's what stewardship is. God, you own all of my stuff. It's not mine. You've given it to me 
to ultimately be a part of your mission. Number three, you see gifts. They're using gifts to engage in God's mission. So, so that what Acts 2 is, says, there's signs and wonders. There's signs and wonders. Now, listen, this can freak people out sometimes, but what I believe is that we'll have a theology that can't be ignored and a power that can't be denied because what we'll do is be pursuing Christ in a way that we'll see the power of God in our midst. I believe for our church that we're going to be able to see people that it take two to three years to follow Jesus. We'll see them, we'll, we'll meet them in a moment. Man, I have this deep, deep hunger to see the power of God in the midst of our community. Probably over the last month that I ever have that God would deepen our roots, that God would deepen our hearts so that we'd be about the things that he's about, care about the things that he cares about, engage with the things that he engages in so that we can see a church fully formed and shaped by Jesus. I'm praying for that. And lastly, number four is favor. You see this church, they were, they were praising God and they were growing in favor with man. Praising God and growing in favor. See, a lot of us will we'll praise God, but then the person in the cube next to us hates us. Well, you're not doing it right. But then a lot of times, when we're so focused on this relationship with other people that we don't even honor God with our life. They're saying there's both. They're, they're praising God and they're growing in favor. They're living in this way that connects them with people. In a, they're living in a way that connects them with people to show God's glory and give joy to man. So you see that they're reproducing God's heart through risk and shoot, stewardship and gifts and favor. This is what I pray for our church, man. I pray that we would understand the depths of this that it wouldn't be something we just know about, but it would be something that we know because we know Christ. It's not someone we just know about. We've like, we got this good knowledge and we got this good Bible here that we read because we feel better when we do it. And when we come here, we just check the, check the box and everything feels better. But that through this, we would ultimately be shaped and defined by the fact that we know Jesus. We know him. James talks about it this way. He says this. He says, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See, they believe this. And one day Jesus is going to come back. Like everything's going to be restored. All the things that are wrong are going to be made right because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and his return at the end. They just knew that. And James is saying, guys, just be patient. It's coming. There's hope. I get it. You have so much hope. But he's coming. He's doing it. He's saying, he says, see this farmer. He waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's saying establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. So church, are you establishing your heart? Are you a worshiper? Are you getting your awe from the, the life of Christ? Are you a, is your heart a communal heart? Are you joining in with God with other people 
in a healthy fellowship, in a healthy community? And then ultimately, is your heart a missional heart? Is your heart set up in a way that's pouring out, the re- is reproducing the heart that God has given you? Because he's saying that's what happens. When a church does these things, people notice and people begin to follow. When you take the church from this human institution and create a spiritual movement, you're going to see things take place. And so he's saying, be patient. Establish your hearts for the kingdom of God, the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. So man, I'm praying for you, church, that you'd establish your hearts. Establish them in, in worship. Establish them in community. Establish them in mission. Jesus, we so badly want to see you work in our church. God, give us this deep expectancy, a deep hunger to know that you're doing something in us, to know that you're being, uh, that you're moving in our midst. God, I pray that you help us establish our hearts as a church. Establish us as we are patiently waiting for our hope, the coming of Jesus. God, I pray that you do it in us. Establish us, Father. Give us a worshiping heart. Give us a communal heart, a missional heart, so that we can see you work in ways that we've never seen before. God, we're so hungry for the things of God. We're so hungry for this. God, give us this depth today.